I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, where I know you are going regularly to check out the latest untold stories you can't find anywhere else about Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. Stories that are often crafted lovingly by our own news editor, Linda Stein. Linda, how are you? I'm great, Michael. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing terrific because more and more people are signing up for our twice-week newsletter. They're following us on Twitter and Facebook. And you got some great stories up at Delaware Valley Journal right now, including after the news broke that President Trump had endorsed uh, Dr. Oz in the U.S. Senate race. You talked to Delaware Valley Republicans about their reaction. What did they tell you? A lot of them uh, were pleased. A lot of them who already were leaning towards Dr. Oz Mm -hmm. uh, believe it was uh, a feather in his cap and it gave them all the more reason to support him. But a couple of the people that I spoke to who were um, supporting Dave McCormick, who is his chief billionaire rival, uh, that didn't sway them at all. So they're they're still um, in McCormick's camp. Uh, For example, uh, Fred DeCenzo of Newtown says, uh, I think it's a mistake. I don't believe Dr. Avis is a real conservative. I think actually Dave McCormick is a better fit and would have better synergy. Yeah, it was interesting. The number of uh, conservative activists that spoke out after the endorsement talking about how they, they just didn't see Dr. Oz as the Trump candidate from a policy standpoint in the race. And yet others said, oh, no way. Uh, Dr. Oz is exactly the kind of guy you'd expect uh, Trump to endorse. And you're going to hear from Dr. Oz on the podcast coming up here in just a few seconds. Uh, the other big news is, and it's I think it's related to the suburbs, uh, Linda, but I'll, I, I'd like to hear your response, is the news that Philly is uh, putting the mask mandate back in place indoors starting on Monday. And when we spoke to Philadelphia Council Member Alan Dom, he pointed out the irony that on the same day that the feds were going to drop the mask mandate for travel, Philly was going to be adding the mask mandate for eating at their restaurants. Now, ironically, uh, 24 hours later, the CDC announced, no, 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 we're going to work or or the Biden administration, I should say, announced we're going to keep the mask mandates for travel, which I hate. Um, But it's not a good look. And I, and the concern that uh, council member Dom expressed was that, You've got restaurants and bars and retail outlets that are in the city that have to compete with the suburbs where, Linda, there will not be indoor mask mandates when you want to go, you know, have a pizza or take the kids out for chicken wings. Yeah, we had several people tell us by Facebook that uh, that's it. They're not going to bother going into Philly if they have to wear a mask. And I don't think people are thinking that much about the economic impact uh, of this differential. Cause it's just, you know, it's getting from Philly to not Philly, you know, to whatever, you know, to upper Darby, whatever. It's just not that hard. You know, it's not like you gotta, you know, climb mountains or swim rivers or anything. And to be, to have easy access to places that you're going to be more comfortable when you're spending say a hundred dollars for two people to have dinner, you know, a lot easier to travel in the suburbs. Hey, and we've also got some stories uh, cooking about the transgender uh, issue, and particularly children and transgender in Pennsylvania. What should people look for at DelawareValleyJournal.com, Linda? 
Oh, well, we have a story coming up that we'll probably post tomorrow about a bill that passed the House and okay, is let me pending, stop. Let me pending stop in the again. Senate. Let me, let me stop, 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 stop. Oh, we don't know when people are going to listen to this, so oh, don't okay. say today, tomorrow. Just say we've got a story coming up and take it from Okay. Um, we've got a story coming up about a bill that passed in this, the House, uh, State House in Pennsylvania and is now pending in the Senate. Uh, regarding uh, transgender uh, girls in sports and um, basically saying if you were born a girl, you can be on the girls team, otherwise you can't. However, Governor Wolf says he'll veto that. It's a huge issue in Pennsylvania, around the country. Um, Barry Weiss, who's known as a former New York Times editor, who has a great substack and who's uh, uh, it, very interesting intellectually has a piece up at her site asking the question, what happened to feminism? We went from, I am woman, hear me roar to what, what, what is a woman? Uh, and that's a fascinating <laughs> question. Of course, being a guy and being married, I'm always asking, uh, what do women want? And alas, the answer tends to be not you anyway. So much going on at Delaware Valley journal, which is why you need to subscribe to our newsletter. You can do it on our website. Now let's talk to U.S. Senate candidate, Dr. Oz. It's a delight to welcome to the Delaware Valley Journal podcast, Dr. Oz. You may know him as an international television celebrity doctor guy. You may know him as a U.S. Senate candidate. You may know him as Dave McCormick's favorite topic of conversation. Dr. Oz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And I have actually become an interesting topic of conversation for him. I, I, I've, been, I've always encouraged candidate McCormick to just talk about what he's done to make the world better. I, I started off doing that for the first month and a half of the campaign when I was competing with the other candidates. We've, I got to say, the rest of us have tried to do that as much as possible. You always have a little cat fights, but uh, it's not what happened uh, in the last few months. It's really become a serious uh, battle amongst ideologies. Uh, it certainly is. And we're going to get to plenty of that. But I actually want to start with something mundane and pedestrian having to do with life in Pennsylvania, which is the news that Philadelphia is going to bring back the mask mandate for uh, indoors. And then the news the day that we're recording this podcast that the Biden administration is going to extend transit mask mandates, which drives me crazy because I have to fly. And I was looking forward to finally a flight without that stupid mask. So you're the medical doctor and the person who wants to help guide public policy through the U.S. Senate. What's your take? It's a flawed decision for many reasons, but most importantly, because it does not follow the science, it follows the political science. And what we've witnessed during COVID is very important because it's emblematic of a broader opinion amongst Democrats that you need a top-down, one-size-fits-all authoritarian approach. And I can give you evidence of that, but of late there was a, a series of articles on me there, you know, in the New York Times, and one of them said, not only is he a bad guy, but he's a dangerous person. And I, I, my ears perked up. Why, why was I dangerous now? And they said, I'm dangerous because I believe in something called, wait for it, individualism. They said in a time of global warming, race issues, and COVID, we cannot afford to have individualism. It's too much of a luxury. We need to go with collectivism. And I argue, no, individualism is the best way to deal with those problems and many others. The mask mandates make no sense because they treat people like they're chattel. Like we're not smart enough to understand that if we're 75 years old, uh, it's different than if we're uh, 14 years old, which by the way, statistically is a thousand fold difference in morbidity if you get COVID with those two ages. And I, 
have a price to pay if I don't let 14 year olds play with each other. 75 year olds, yeah, it's not as big, they can play bridge six, six feet apart from themselves. You know, if you're a nursing home, you're at high risk, you need to be vaccinated, you should probably wear a mask if there's a big incidence of illness. But if you're going to kindergarten, you should not. And it's not just me saying this, there's a ton of data supporting what I'm arguing. And there's very little data against what I'm saying. Yet, in Philadelphia, the reflexive move is, hey, just listen, we don't actually have more hospitalizations, but we do have a couple more cases, nothing like what we used to have, but still a few more immediately snap judgment, uh, reflexive, put the mask mandates on because we can tell people to, what to do when they don't need your advice. And listen, the insult of intelligence. How do I explain to my kids that you take your mask off when you sit at the dinner table, but you got to wear it on your way out of the restaurant after for two hours you've loved and, uh, and, and joked around and sang hymns and whatever you may have done. And, and yet the, the, and the guests, don't have to wear masks, but the people working in the restaurant, because it's a caste system, they have to wear masks. See, this is the problem, Dr. Oz. You don't understand the super science of COVID. I just found out that if you're uh, Vice President Kamala Harris and you've been exposed to COVID, but you're at a really emotional event, like a Supreme Court justice, that you don't need a mask because apparently the COVID knows that you really, really are excited to beat it. It's the world's most amazing uh, virus. The Chinese did a great job. Well, if you kiss the president on the cheek, that's not a problem. But if you're if you're 15 minutes uh, less than six feet away, it is the six feet number. Just 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 a beautiful example. There is no data, no data that six feet of distancing makes any difference. And I, I, I've looked, I've tried. It's based on a single classroom experience for a couple of kids who got the, you know, a, a childhood illness. It wasn't COVID. I got it when they were closer than six feet. The, the Europeans and rest of the world actually only says three feet. Even that doesn't have any data. Fauci, we have internal emails, was asking questioning early in the pandemic about whether we should become clean about the fact that six feet's not really a rule. And he was, you know, he didn't push forward on it because he was, you know, he didn't want to confuse us because you know we're not able to comprehend those kinds of complex ideas six feet distancing by the way made in-person teaching in schools impossible you put little kids six feet away from each other they can't even see each other but they're not going to be able to fit them all in a classroom so it led to a a significant public policy hazard and crisis when need, none needed to be imposed and that's what i'm talking that's why i got uh, upset during COVID. There were things said that were clearly wrong. People who know better didn't say it because they were not brave. They were cowardly. And people who did say what was needed to be said got canceled for saying it. And, so and Dr. over and over. Oh, so Dr. Oz, I just wanted to pivot to the campaign for a minute. Um, so Trump has endorsed you. What do you, what do you say? Has that changed things in a big way? Makes a massive difference to have the president's endorsement in part because he didn't just you know throw a coin in the air flip it and see who came up he did his homework he compared me especially to dave mccormick and looked at the details of our records did we stand up for folks are we you know pro second amendment pro-life are we, are we pro american energy dominance are, are we tough on crime are we going to support the the southern border uh, changes that are that are required will we fight against the woke mob that wants to tear down much of what they think is our irredeemably stained society. And he decided I was the best person to carry that banner forward. At a practical level, it makes it a lot easier to do almost everything in the campaign. People call you back faster. Uh, people understand that you're in the lead. And listen, I was doing well in the campaign in the polls anyway, but it's nice to have the president on top because for many Pennsylvanians, probably half of the population, their decision now is made pretty simple. Am I the Trump candidate or not the Trump candidate? There's one person who is, Dr. Oz. There's five who aren't. 
And those five people now have to split up the remaining half of the electorate. And most of them are going to vote for me anyway, because they know I'm going to win. And they want someone who has a bold, loud voice, who goes to Washington, not as a, as a backbencher, but as someone who can articulate exactly why uh, conservative ideas are better ideas. And I can point out why the Democrats are in trouble, because they don't have an agenda for prosperity. Let me say that again, because it's really important. And I don't get up in the morning and dislike Democrats. Moderate Democrats will have to vote for me in the general election for me to win, and they will, because they have experienced something that is profoundly difficult for many in the left to acknowledge. They're not going anywhere. There's no agenda for prosperity. There's no hope for exactly what they're going to achieve when they get into office that results in positive things. I know what they're going to do, but they don't work. They don't. They believe in the Green New Deal, but that's a lie. There is no Green New Deal that can be accomplished in the time frame laid out. They believe in mask mandates, for example, because they think it makes you safer, but it doesn't. If it, listen, if you would save a lot of lives with mask mandates, of course I'd want them. I'm a doctor. I'm not trading off death masks, death masks. I'm telling you the masks don't work. So why bother? And the same can be said for what we're doing now with children in our schools when we're exposing them. Just I'll pick one example. New Jersey, our neighboring state, just decided every first and second grader must be exposed, whether their parents want it or not, to gender fluidity issues. As a doctor, let me say this really clearly. The research on this is, is not clear. It has been looked at a lot. I've covered the topic on my show. 80 to 85 percent of kids who say they are transgender will naturally if they're not influenced go back to their biologic gender but if you change that natural history if you place ideas in a five-year-old kindergarten kid's mind then you're going to mess with their mind you're not letting them do what kids have done throughout society once in a while johnny walks in mom's shoes it doesn't mean anything love the child embrace them let them be who they need to be and over time they work it out if you interfere with that process you hurt people yet they say the opposite Pisaki this week said it's it's reprehensible for republicans to be concerned about this because we're going to increase suicides the data is the opposite it doesn't change self-harm rates if you embrace or don't embrace transgender children love them that's what they need they don't um, need to be told what so to do so that's one of the uh, things that they're hitting you with on these attack ads that keep running um, the transgender, uh, something that you talked about on your show and various other things. What do you say about all these uh, ads that keep going against you? Uh, they, they, they never show footage of me saying what they're claiming I said. There's a reason for that. They'll pick the promo of a show. Listen, I've been network television show, the top health show in the world for 13 years. You know how you become number one? You're open-minded. You let people come on and talk about what's concerning them. You're polite. I'm, I'm a guest in people's show, homes. I'm, right? I'm, you're inviting me into your home on network television every single day for the last 13 years. So to do that, I've got to be a good guest. I can't come in there and browbeat you. I do a show and I say, here's a mom who's got a 14-year-old kid who says, says he's transgender. What would you do if you were the mom? That was literally the show. It wasn't about me endorsing either way. It was about 12 years ago. No one knew what transgender was. We were the show that broke the ground that allowed people to at least understand what's happening without them being aware of it. This is the same uh, messaging that they offer for much of what I've discussed on my show. That I'll do a, sh a program on, uh, on, a, on a horrible event that may have happened, like Sandy Hook, and someone will comment about the fact that they have had just learned about this thing called a red flag law, and they'll just for a minute articulate what it means. I don't endorse it or embrace it. I didn't even know what it was when they were talking about it. But it's a television show. I'm not going to censor talk. So, it's so the opposite. 
So let's talk then to the Delaware Valley Journal audience because our audience is the folks in the four counties in the suburbs. And traditionally, the Republicans there have tended to be more moderate, maybe more Pat Toomey Republicans, Brian Fitzpatrick Republicans. And some are, are concerned that you might be taking the Republican brand towards uh, a, a level of Trumpism that they're not comfortable with, that they're looking for something somewhere, but you know, they don't want to go back to the old Bob Michael in the 1990s days, but they're, they were clearly uncomfortable with Trump and they abandoned the Republican Party with Trump. What's your message to those Republican voters in the, the four counties outside Philly? I live in Montgomery County. So it's, you know, I, I grew up just outside of Kennedy Square. So I know the four counties I li- lived in. And you know them. the Republicans I'm talking about. They're not Trump believers, you know, they're Republicans and they a lot, a lot voted for him, but they're uncomfortable with the style. They're wondering if you're going to bring that same kind of bombast and they're looking for maybe more Reagan style than Trump style. What would you say to them? The Republicans that I speak to in the four counties, and I spend a lot of time in my home district, so I, I think I'm, I've got this pulse well measured, uh, strongly believe in the conservative values espoused by the Trump administration. Uh, yes, it made them uncomfortable to, to see some of the tweets, but as I make clear, when you're being attacked continually with a dishonest and far left liberal leading media in many cases, uh, you do get uh, to become a bit of a porcupine and you need to have thick skin and the ability to punch back when people attack you. And the reason that I push back and I have on my show for 13 years against uh, ideology that I thought was hurtful to our people is because if I don't do it, who else will? It's why I hung up my show and stopped my magazines and everything else I stopped doing. And I burned the boats because you can't do it halfway. It's a very cathartic process to run for public office. Donald Trump went through it when he began campaigning and before the 2016 election. And you have to make clear what you stand for. And they will interpret it, they being the liberal media, in any way they wish. But I know in my heart that when I speak to these issues, I own them. These are things that have been part of who I am for much of my life. And as I learn more about conservative thought and that the realities of life are conservative, I feel that much more passionate about running. The people in the Southeast part of our state share those values. They may express them differently, more in new, more nuanced ways, but the real question that they're gonna ask on May 17th as they vote is when I go to sleep at night, who do I want it to help? Is he safe, stable, loving, uh, and is he powerful enough to deliver what he's promising to us? And I am that candidate. So one last question for you for me, and I'll turn it back to Linda for a wrap up, which is what will a, if it happens, what would a Dr. Oz, John Fetterman, U.S. Senate race look like? Well, Fetterman has picked two issues, which I think are going to hurt him in the general election. Uh, He's making them a big deal in the Democratic primary. I'm assuming that he'll stay with them because he's been espousing them throughout his lieutenant governorship. Uh, But he's going to push on a moratorium on fracking and legalization of marijuana. And I'm going to say uh, energy uh, is the foundation of keeping our country strong, will reduce inflation. And if, if you get clean natural gas to supply our energy needs in a consistent, affordable way, it's cleaner than believing a dishonest ideology, because that's what it is around the Green New Deal, which is scientifically impossible to achieve. And that's a battle that I will win. Voters are, are furious about the fact that right beneath our feet, we have all the resources we need, that if we were able to harvest uh, our natural gas from out west or up north and pipe it through Philadelphia to where the naval yards used to be and we could put them on ships, it would be a huge moneymaker for the city of Philadelphia, address our financial needs and help our allies stay safe from Russian and other toxic forces. Quite the opposite of what Biden administration is doing, which is to put moratoriums on these things, block us from harvesting and shipping gas, and then ask the Iranians 
if they'll uh, you know, give us some of their oil, even if it compromises our loyal allies, the Israelis. And what does that send to the rest of the countries in the world who are trying to be our allies? So that I'll win. The second big issue is marijuana. And I've been open about this on my show. I believe that medical marijuana has promise and should be evaluated. And I believe we should, that, mer that med medical marijuana should be investigated. And to do that, you have to restrict, you take out some of the restrictions through of clinical trials. Why would I not want to know more about helping 85 year olds with cancer uh, that, in ways that might help them with their pain that are better than opiates and narcotics, which knock them out? That stated, I have strong sentiments against the legalization of marijuana because we already have a problem with getting young people to work. And if you build a psychological addiction, right, that tell people you can't get through the day unless you smoke a joint, which is what Fetterman is saying is okay, we're going to have even less people engaged in life and they lose their dignity when that happens. What was your experience like when you tried it? I, I, this is, I have never had pot and I'll tell you why. Because I'm a control freak. As a doctor, I never, I'm serious. I mean, I wish one day I would, you know, contemplate it, but I've never done it because I never wanted to give up control, get high, and then have a patient need me urgently in the operating room. And that's the reason I've never taken a chance with it. Uh, and as I point out, it's not a personal indictment of people who need it medically. I understand why those purposes may exist. Um, it's just a lifestyle that I've chosen. What I do do is work out a lot and eat right. And that's why I, you know, I still think I'm able to keep well, up just, with this. I was going to say, you campaign. just lost my vote. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, <laughs> I was uh, slamming down some chicken wings and having a beer. Linda, wrap this up, please. Have an adult in this conversation. I'm having a kielbasa. One second. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Oz, one, one thing I was wondering, you touched on it a little bit, um, is inflation. Um, what policies would you bring to Washington to fight inflation, which is uh, something that's worrying a lot of people in the Delaware Valley? They should be worried. The big fear, Linda, is not just inflation, which is at over 8% now, it's highest in 40 years, it's devaluation. If we continue to leave our currency unprotected, other countries won't trust our dollar. And the dollar is not based on gold, it's based on trust. And so when they don't trust us, all of a sudden the dollar that's worth, you know, $100 today is worth 50 tomorrow. That's what happens in countries that lose their currency. So there's three things we've got to do that are driving inflation. The first is monetary policy. And by the way, I, you know, I went to med school at Penn, but I also went to Wharton Business School. So I you know, trained, you know, trained in Philly and well-trained in Philly. Uh, we have to increase interest rates, but that can't be the main solution because that, that will lead us to a recession if we do it too aggressively. And it's only one of the causes um, of inflation. The second big uh, issue is we've got to be able to be uh, thoughtful uh, about the shortages, the supply chain shortages that we're experiencing. That's driving up inflation because every because of people, scarcity. People want to buy something, you can't find it, you pay more for it. That will work itself out over the next year. However, the third issue is the one that gets people in Pennsylvania really angry. And if you're in the Philly area and there's you know, the collar communities, you should be animated by this. We have enough energy to arrest, to stop the increasing prices caused by energy. And we have to mobilize those forces. The fact that Joe Biden, as soon as he comes into office, is, b b blocks us from harvesting energy from our natural uh, uh, parks is, is terrible. We can cleanly re recover those energy sources and we own our national lands. The federal lands are owned by you and me. Right. So free them, that's one third of all the energy of the country if we're not allowed to access. Can you imagine how much we drop inflation, make us energy dominant and help our allies if we just started doing the basic decisions? And I was you know, talking about this, this energy summit that we had Last week in Pittsburgh, I, I had Rick Perry, the energy secretary, Harold Hamm, the father of the American energy renaissance, and Toby Rice, who's the leading natural gas producer in Pennsylvania. All three of them all agreed the same thing, which is if we can allow natural gas to be harvested, 
that we can address the energy increase and we can do it expeditiously. But you have to return their phone calls. Harold Ham calls the Joe Biden administration. Literally, no one calls him back. Are you kidding me? The, the, the Einstein of the business is trying to help call him back. It's hard to catch. You know, you got nap time three times a day. He doesn't want to miss an episode of Matlock. You know, then they do the Golden <laughs> Girls. You know, just, I'm telling you, it's just have him call me. I'll make it happen. Dr. Oz, we really appreciate your time. You know, we're busy on the campaign trail. Thanks for joining Linda Stein and me here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. God bless you. Take care. Thanks, doctor. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.